When we came into Revelation chapter 15, we approached a, a subject that, as we've been talking about, modern man is very much against it. And the reason that modern man is so much against it is because this subject is so much against modern man. It, it, the subject that we're dealing with is the wrath of God. Now, Frank just talked a minute ago about God being so loving, and, and I was just praying about God being so loving, and please understand, He He is love. As we've talked about, He doesn't just love, He is love. He is the very essence of love. It, we would never understand what love is without understanding who God is. And we would never really understand His love if we didn't understand that God is holy. And, and we, we've gone through this whole strain that if you love something, that there must be something then that you hate. And the fact is, God is absolutely like I could never in a million years ever communicate to you God hates sin and yet he has an incredible love for sinners and you begin to appreciate the fact that God loves sinners when you understand how much he absolutely hates sin and, and we've been talking about the fact that all the way through the Bible God is just one time after another he is just revealing that he is love, that he is grace, that he is mercy, that he is compassion, that he is tender-hearted. And yet when we come to Revelation chapter 15, what we find in this chapter is that while God is all of that, and God for the last 6,000 years of human history has been manifesting that love and grace and mercy and tender-heartedness and compassion, what Revelation chapter 15 lets us know is that all the while, that that love has been being poured out on the earth. Something unbelievable has been taking place up in heaven. And that is, the wrath of God has been filling up, and he ain't missed a trick. And here we are with approximately 6,000 years of human history under our belt. And I do want you to know, God's wrath is just about there. And buddy, when the tribulation comes and the Antichrist comes on the scene and he does his thing, let me just tell you something, buddy. The rest of that wrath is going to be filling up in heaven. And that thing is, is, is going to be poured out. And God's been warning about this day. This day that we're reading about in Revelation chapter 15, where his wrath is one of these days going to finally be unleashed. He's been warning about that all the way through the Bible. All the while now, he's, he's been just manifesting his love and grace and mercy. But he's been warning about a day. In, in fact, and we won't take the time to, to wear you out on, on this again. But you know what I did? I, I just went to the book of Isaiah to just hear about this day. You don't even need to turn. You won't have time to turn. Just listen to it. Just from the book of Isaiah, and this ain't even all of them in Isaiah. Isaiah 13, verse 6, he calls this day a day of destruction from the Almighty. Isaiah 13, 9 calls it a cruel day. Isaiah 17 and verse 11 calls it the day of grief and of desperate sorrow. Isaiah 22 and verse 5 calls it a day of trouble and of treading down and perplexity. 
Isaiah 30, verse 25, calls it the day of the great slaughter. Isaiah 34, verse 8, calls it the day of the Lord's vengeance. Isaiah 35, 4, says it's a day when the Lord will come with vengeance. Isaiah 63, verse 4, God says, For the day of vengeance is in my heart. And yet what's kind of wild is that even though God is going to exercise that wrath, there is going to be a day when God is going to take vengeance. You know what's kind of wild? If you do that, you're wrong. Is that right? Now, you know, we're big on the fact that God's consistent. We're, we're big on the fact that we learn our parenting skills from God, who is a perfect, perfect father. And yet, how many of you grew up in a home where your father said, do as I say, not as I... How many of you grew up in one of those kind of homes? Quite a few of us. I, I remember one mealtime in our home was sacred, man. You had to be there for mealtime. You know, I mean, if you're, if you're out playing and dad's ready to eat, oh my. I mean, you, you have no idea just the wrath that could come on you because of that. And, and if you ever did anything wrong at that table, like knock anything over, oh my, my, my. So I'm like fourth grade. I'm just working my tea. I set it down, hit my plate, bam, it falls all over the table. My dad's across the table. Here he is. Pop. And as he's coming back, he knocks his tea all over the whole table, man. And I'm like, there is a God. <laughs> he never said anything like, oh, hey, sorry about that. I guess we all make mistakes or anything like that. We just kind of go on with, with life. But you know what? You exercise wrath. You take vengeance. Man, the Bible's all over you. I mean, how about Ephesians 4.26? Don't let the sun go down upon your, your wrath. Don't do that. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 20, wrath is listed as one of the works of the, the flesh. And you just go on and on with this whole thing. God's going to tell you in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 8. He says, now, now put off all these. Anger, wrath, malice. Put all of that off. Don't even be messing around with that. Don't have any of that. Now, now come on, y'all. What's, what's up with that? I mean, is God one of these... Do as I say, not as I do. I, I remember when I was in, I was in Bible college, and you've got to remember, I got to Bible college and really didn't grow up in a church like this one. You know, I, I was, every Sunday was an evangelistic sermon in, in our church, and I got saved when I was about 16, go off to Bible college when I'm 18. You know, I'm not totally sanctified at this point. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm, I'm pretty new at this whole deal. And so on our, on our dorm, I, I, I was off at, 
this godforsaken school up in the north country the first semester and Frank and Sandy were in Missouri and so at semester break when I was about to break they they said hey man why don't you why don't you come over and, and, and go to school with us and I'm like you know that sounds cool so I get there and I, I'm on Frank's floor now we're on the fourth floor of this dorm there's a phone for the whole floor at the end of the hall you know and you know how that freshman thing is you know I'm, I gotta tell you I'm a little homesick and all of that and don't get much mail and don't get many phone calls and buddy when they when a, a letter or a phone call came this was a big deal you know so phone rings it's never for me you know phone rings it's for me I go down and, and it's somebody from my own church that's that's calling I'm 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 stoked man so I'm, I'm talking to him there's this room right here full of guys and I, I don't know what it was I don't know if they didn't like me the way I walked the way I talked what it was but I just knew that there was always something about me that these guys didn't like I'm on the phone and they see I'm out there and so they're they're all right by right by the door I mean I could reach out you know just about and touch them and they're all hey and they're, they're making it to where I can't hear what's going on so I'm you know I'm cool hey y'all I'm, I'm on the phone here if I wouldn't mind and they're just and, and it, it is so on purpose and remember I'm not totally sanctified yet okay <laughs> but in this way I am a little bit like God because the wrath was filling up and, and so I work it again I, I'm gonna be like God I'm gonna be patient and all that hey, if y'all wouldn't mind I'm on the phone thank you here so you know I, I just say well, okay they ain't gonna do that so I'm, I'm working real hard and trying to be nice and still excited about this phone call and then I mean they're still working it the whole time so I hang up the phone y'all and I come into that room and I went for the biggest one in the bunch I grabbed him and I said come on man you think you're so bad and just about that time the dorm mom walks in <laughs> He's, he gets it up in my face Trier, you're in your flesh man you need to run back to first Peter chapter 2 and verse 23 when he was reviled he reviled not again when he suffered he threatened not I, 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 I. you know I'm like ooh, the dude's right you know but I still didn't know what to do with all that going on on the inside we moved here 17 years ago 15 years ago we, we lived out on on 416 in a house that Kim Solzner remodeled it's in the middle of the winter we used to live right across the street getting into a place where I had a little more room that sounded real inviting to us I, I was working out over in Dover at the body shack uh, right there on Tuscross Avenue there right behind Huntington Bank a lot of you know what I'm talking about and if you don't it doesn't really matter okay but anyway so I'm working out with Ed who owns the body shack but coming from 416 we worked out in the morning I, I didn't want to you know come in 
work out, then come all the way back, get cleaned up, and then come to work. So, you know, he had shower facilities there and all that deal. So I, I, I bring my clothes when we work out and get dressed there. So I, I'm working with the young marrieds at this, this time. And there's, there's a guy in my class that holds a leadership position in there. And I get word that the guy is getting ready to leave his family. And I'm like, no way. And, and I, I'm, I'm checking this thing out, and I'm, sure enough, the word is he's leaving his family. I, and he's got four kids and a wife with one on the way. And I'm like, this cannot be happening. So uh, me and Pastor Harold, Ray Williams, after Wednesday night, after choir practice, we, we go to where we hear he is with this woman. The word we had was they were going to be moving the next day. So we go out. It, it was out, uh, out Worcester Avenue just before you get to 77 out there coming through Columbia and Peral and all that deal. And so we, we go out there to try to, to plead with this guy for what he's about to do. So we get out there. It's... It's probably 10 o'clock at night by the time we get there. And sure enough, man, here's this rider truck sitting out in front of the house. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, man, I'm just not believing this. So I'm working the front door. Dog's going nuts. Go around to the back. The dog's going nuts. And I know, sure enough, they're in there, but they ain't answering that door. I mean, I'm just working it and working it and working it. And so we get in the car, and I said, you know what? I, I work out, you know, in Dover. I'll just, tomorrow morning, I'll just come, I'll work out, and then I'll come down, and I'll, I'll try to do it then. You know, I'll tell Pastor Harold and Ray that. And so, the next morning, I go to the body shack, and Ed and I work out, and this is the first time in my life, at this point, that I was working legs, you know. So, I'm, I'm getting dressed, I put on my drawers, and I mean, there is a rip in my thigh like 10 inches long here and I'm like oh wonderful I don't have time to go back to 416 and I'm like well whatever who cares you know so I, I, I drive out there now during this time I, you, you guys watch too many movies don't you you know I'm just setting that up but and during this time I'm with the young marrieds I'm, I'm teaching through the Sermon on the Mount and we just that week we had talked about blessed are the peacemakers and, and so on my way you know from the body shack going out there I'm seeing myself exactly as that and I mean I, this is a spiritual moment for me and I, I'm, I'm working it you know oh God help me to be a peacemaker and to see peace restored in this family and oh God you know and I'm just you know and and really you know what by the time I get to where I can see the truck I don't really feel that I'm quite ready, and to be quite honest with you, I'm a little nervous. You know what I'm saying? Can you put yourself in, in my shoes? They're going to go confront this guy. So I pull over there on Worcester Avenue. I'm probably 500 yards from, from the truck. I'm down here, and, and I'm watching them. This guy from my class and this other guy loading the truck up. So I, I'm just sitting down on the side of the road down there in my car, and I'm praying. Oh, God, help me to be a peacemaker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to get my composure and all of that kind of stuff. So I notice that 
they're not making many trips back and forth anymore. And I'm like, hmm. So I'm thinking in my mind, well, when they come back out, I'll just make my move at that point. So all of a sudden, I look up. The guy that's helping him comes out to the road, and he goes, I'm like, yikes, I guess they know I'm here, you know. So what am I going to do now? Act like I ain't. So, you know, I, I, I pull, come over to where he, where he is. He comes up. I roll the window down. He comes up to the window. Hey! And, and I, I, I wish I could give you the feel of this. But every other word begins with an F. And I, I listen, I mean every other word. I, I, that's not an exaggeration every other word and he's got his finger in my face now you got to understand the guy is built like misty jackson sitting down here you know i mean he's 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 that's not a bless you that well i'm what i'm trying to say is He's not like some, you know, bouncer somewhere. I mean, you know, he's like five, four, and 115 pounds soaking wet, you know. And he's doing this F thing in my face and saying, you get out that car and I'll wipe the road up with you, you know. Oh, but, I mean, you talk about the wrath filling up, man. I'm... And here, I, I'm, I mean, my mind is going a thousand miles an hour, man. I'm blessed are the peacemakers. I'm going to kill this guy. <laughs> blessed are the peacemakers. I am going to pinch his head off. <laughs> blessed are the peacemakers. And I finally look at him and I say, you know, I, I, forgive me, I'm wrong in this. I, I, I looked at the dude. I'm working the, the rip and the draws here. <laughs> I said, you know what, man? I didn't come here to fight you, and whew, you ought to thank God that I didn't. <laughs> I said, all, all I'm here to do is to try to talk to my friend about a mistake that he's getting ready to make with his life, and I, I would appreciate it greatly if you just go in there and tell him that one of his friends would like to just talk to him for a second. Goes in the house, comes back out a few minutes later, and he says, he said, you're no friend of his. So you get the... And here he goes again, man. You get... It's filling up. I, I rolled up the window. And I turned around and I went up the street. And I'm going... I mean, in my car. I mean, I'm still just over the moon. You know? And I don't know what to do with all of what... i got to tell somebody about this. You know what I'm saying? So I, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm heading back to Dover. I, I come to 3rd Street, and I'm like, I'm going to go tell Ed about this, man. This is just too much. So I, th I go through downtown Dover. Ed used to park his van, you know, the alley there between the post office and Huntington Bank. You could see his van back there if he was there. And so as I'm cruising down 3rd, I look through the alley, and the van's gone. So, ah, uh, well, Pastor Harold and Ray love this story, so I'm going to make my way back to the church. So I'm going to take a left on the Tuscarawas Avenue. And I'm still just playing all this in my mind. I'm about the sixth car at the light there. 
waiting to turn left, and all of a sudden this car coming from Tusk turns on to third, and he, he blocks the, the, the entrance into Huntington Bank, and he's got his lights on, and I'm thinking, and, and he's looking back over his shoulder, I, I'm thinking, funeral? Is, is that what's, I'm looking to see, is there a funeral procession, what, you know, what's, what's going on here? Light turns green, cars start going, so I go, take a left on the Tusk, and I'm telling you, y'all, I don't know where they came from. Cops came from everywhere. I mean, one coming head on, turns his car, blocks it where I can't. One comes up the alley by the body shack. They come from behind. People are coming out of the, people are coming out of the bar. People are coming out of Hex. People are coming out of the bank because as they've done all of this in the middle of the road, they get on the speaker. Come up with your hands up. And if anybody thinks that I'm just pulling your leg on this, this is the honest gospel truth. Come out with your hands up. And, and I'm like, <laughs> I, I opened the car door. I, 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 here I am out in the middle of Dover. They said, walk very slowly. Walk to the back of the car. And here, here they go. Lay your body over the car with your legs spread. <laughs> and so, man, I, I get like this. And here they all come. I mean, they're frisking down his leg, you know. I'm like, oh. How embarrassing, you know? <laughs> so, I mean, while they're doing all this, I mean, they're, they're yelling. What are you doing, man? What are you doing? And I'm like, what? what? You know, and, and they're, we heard what you were doing. I said, what? We heard that you were down there beating that door in, scaring that family to death. wrath it's filling up you see because I'm like God man and I said you know what Whew. I don't know where all that came from but let me just tell you something I said I'm the, the assistant pastor at First Baptist this guy's getting ready to leave his family he's got four kids one on the way and he's leaving with another woman I'm down there trying to plead with a guy and he's sick some chihuahua on me <laughs> I said, I never got out the car, man. So check this out. They move. They go down to Florida. They set up an evangelistic association. Her mother died a few years ago. I'm doing the funeral. I do the funeral. Here they come. They're coming up to me by the, the box. God bless you. It's a great job. Oh. Put 
the moon, Ellis. Put off all these anger, wrath, malice. Just put all that off. Why? I mean, if he's going to do it, why can't we? Does that do anything to your insides, that, that whole little story? Are, are you just... Anybody that's anywhere close to my age, are you just going, oh, I hope you, I hope you knock their lights out, you know? Would you turn to Romans? What, what do you do with all that? And you know what? I'm telling that story because you guys can tell your own story of things in your life that just absolutely send you over the top and you don't know what to do with it and you know that it ain't right for you to be toting around that anger, that wrath, and, and all of that. So what do you do with it? God tells us in Revel or Romans chapter 12 and verse 19, now, now listen to it. You know what he tells us here? is that there is a place for it. There is. Ta-da! There's a place for it. Romans 12, verse 19. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. What do you mean? God says, give it its place. Well, what's that? It's God's place. It ain't yours. It ain't mine. And he goes on. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. You know what God's saying? There's a place for it. It ain't your place. It's my place. But, well, what... what what do I do with it? First Peter chapter 2, verse 23. Remember the verse I told you where the guy got in my face? The, and I'm not talking about the guy out on Worcester. I'm talking about my dorm mom. Listen to it. When he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. But you know what he did with it? God in a human body as an example to us. You know what he did? You know what the rest of the verse says? But he committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. You know why it's not your place to execute wrath and to take vengeance? You know why? Because we don't execute judgment righteously our concern is not God and I can just tell you while I'm telling that story and that guy's in my face I'm doing the blessed of the peacemaker thing the reason I'm struggling so bad is because he's 
in my face and I think I could kill him. And you see, it, it does something to humble you. And if you do do something, you know what? You don't do it righteously. Because Colossians 3, 8, you know what it, it, what it says? You know why it says to put off anger? Because it builds. Listen to this. There's a progression in the verse. He says, put off anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth, lying. You know what happens when we get ticked off, y'all? We start into this rage, and you know what? While we're in the rage, it just keeps going, doesn't it? And we begin to fuel ourselves till all of a sudden we're no longer righteous because filthy communication is coming out of our mouth and now we're to the place to where we're trying to justify why we're so ticked off and we even lie. We make the situation bigger than it is. Check, out the, check it out again. Put off anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication, and lying. Get it out of your life because you ain't God. And you aren't holy. We're going to see this morning. There's one that's holy. One. And it ain't you. And it ain't me. And so what he says, here, there's a place for it. It just ain't yours. Well, what do I do with it? Commit it. To him that judgeth righteously. Let him do it. And, and, and the way that it works is this. If you want to do it, if you want to take that situation, and you want to you fix it, you want to make the judgment, God says, go ahead. And so the question is, do you want to deal with it? Or do you want God to? You commit it to him, God says, Vengeance is mine, and I'll deal with it. I'll be very just in it. You want to take it? You'll just make a bigger mess of that situation. And you won't be just in what you do. And what we're talking about, go, go to Revelation 15 now. We, we've been talking for some time now about this, this great sign that, that John sees in Revelation chapter 15. Roman number one on your outline is the unveiling of the great and marvelous sign in heaven. And what this sign is, this great and marvelous thing that he sees is the wrath of God. He says it's great and it's marvelous. And he allows us to look at the scene. And what we've seen is that there are seven angels. These seven angels have something. They have the seven last plagues and what I was talking about earlier as God's wrath has been filling up in heaven what's going to happen toward the end of the tribulation period is God is going to take that wrath that's been filling up and he's going to come to these seven angels that are holding these seven vials and God is going to take that wrath and he's going to begin to pour it into these seven vials and what's going to happen on this planet is those angels are going to be discharged and they're going to begin to pour out the wrath of God or the judgment of God 
yea, the vengeance of God on this planet. But as we look at the scene, there are the seven angels, there's the seven plagues, which again is defined in verse 1 as the wrath of God. And then we looked at this sevenfold description of these victors. There's this throng of people that John sees as this great sign is being unveiled of the wrath of God. He sees this incredible throng of people, and it ain't us. We, we've seen in the context that this is the tribulation saints, and he gives a sevenfold description of them. They're standing, first of all, on the sea of glass, and we saw what that was. Actually, what he's saying is they stand on the holiness of God. These are those who have been victorious over the beast. They've been victorious over his image. They've been victorious over his mark. They've been victorious over his number. So we've seen five things on this sevenfold description. And now this morning we're going to pick up with the, the sixth of, of these. So look, look with me, if you would. This is letter F on your outline. What, what he tells us at the end of verse 2 is that there's something else that, these, that he needs to tell us about these people as he gives us this sevenfold description, and that is that they have the harps of God. They are playing the harps of God. Now, I just got to tell you, this, this does sound a little cheesy, doesn't it? You know, they're up in heaven playing harps, you know? And this is where everybody gets this, this stereotypical idea about heaven that, you know, we're all up there with little wings coming off our little backs and we're floating on clouds wearing golden slippers and, and playing a harp, you know? And we, we look at all of that and go, if that's all that it is, you know, I think I'd rather go fishing or something, you know? It, it just doesn't sound a, a, a real, a real in, in, inviting to a 21st century mind, including my own. But I'll explain about these harps in just a second. But let me go ahead and give you the next one so you can see how this all comes together. Letter G. The seventh thing John tells us in this sevenfold description of the victors is that they are singing a, a unique song. They're singing a unique song. And you see that in verse 3. And, and let me see if I can get you to see this by, by explaining the Christian life in the terms that John uses here at the end of verse 2 and the beginning of verse 3. Playing the harps and, and singing this unique song. The Christian life could be explained this way, y'all. God has left us on this planet to sing a song, okay? It is a song of praise and honor and glory to Him. And, now listen, it's also a song of redemption so that other people can understand about the fact that the holy creator God of the universe is holy. And when man chose to rebel against Him, which all of us have done, and we chose to go our own way against him what the holy creator god did is he left heaven and came to this earth in the uh, a human body in the person of jesus christ and on the cross he took the sin that separates us from his holiness he took it upon himself and he paid 
for our sins so that we could once again fulfill the purpose for which we've been created, which is to have an intimate, personal relationship with the holy God of the universe. He's left us now, here on this planet, to sing that song. Again, to sing it as a song of praise to Him and to sing it as a song of redemption to the lost world. You see, this is why in, in Psalm 40, in verse 3, the psalmist said, He hath put a new song in my mouth. Even praise unto our God. Listen to the rest of it. Many shall see it and fear and shall, what? Trust in the Lord. The song of praise is to Him, and yet people see this song and trust in the Lord because it's a song that he's left us here to sing but the coolest thing about it is that God has given us instruments that we play that give the background music to the song you know what that instrument is called it's called your life and you see he's left us here to sing the song but it's not just that we got a mouth to praise him. Do you know how frustrating it would be if all we had with, the, with one single mouth? This is where the songwriter comes in and says, oh, for a thousand tongues to sing because just one mouth doesn't give God what he's worthy of. And so you know what God does with this song? He gives us an instrument of praise. It's a life. And with this life, what we do is we play the background music, so that when we lay the words of the song on top of it, it's a blessing to the heart of our God, and He receives it as a song of praise and honor and glory to Him. And as the people on this planet see our life, did you hear the way the psalmist said it? Listen to it again. He put a new song in my mouth, even praise into our God. Many shall see it. How do you, you ever seen a song? You see this song because the background music for the song is our life. Now listen real carefully. You know why some of us are so ineffective in reaching people with the gospel? We're singing all the right words. At work, we're telling everybody about the, the importance of being born again and just, you know, how wonderful this Christian life is. And yet they look at the music that we play with our life and they go, Oh, ooh, that is some nasty music. You know, it, it's like, you know, you know how there's just some songs where you hear the words and it's like, yeah, I love the words, but the music just doesn't fit. You know, it's like uh, singing uh, uh, Amazing Grace to the music of Purple Haze is in my brain, you know. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. You know, it just, it, it doesn't fit. And you know what? That's where, the way some of y'all sing this song. Oh, you got all the words down, baby. But your life makes it to where nobody wants to listen to the song. And others of you, you play pretty music. Oh my goodness, man. 
That's incredible. I mean, you are a symphony orchestra, baby. I mean, your whole life is just this incredible music. And yet you never open your mouth to give them the words of the song. I mean, it's all there. All you got to do is just sing, baby. Sing. Tell them. And then others of you, the music you play with your life and the words that come out of your mouth, you claim to be a Christian. But there ain't nobody listening to that music and listening to those words that would ever in a million years ever believe that that was a song that the holy creator God of the universe gave you. You see these victors that John sees here? Oh, listen now. They lost their life. Oh, now listen, okay? They lost their life because of the song they sang during the tribulation period. To the life that they lived. They sang a song, and because they sang that song in the tribulation period, man, they lost their life, and John sees them here in heaven. And you know what I absolutely love, man? When he sees them, you know what they're doing? They're still singing, baby. They still got a song. But you see, because they no longer have their lives to play the, the music of the song, you know what God does? He gives them the instruments of praise that they use in heaven. It's a harp. You see, on the earth, the instrument of praise that God gives you is your life. In heaven, God still wants you playing music when, when you give that song. So in heaven, it's harps. And I'm telling you, I, I don't think that we could ever even begin to imagine the incredible music that's going to be in heaven, that's going to be coming out of these tribulation saints who, check it out now, you remember what the, do you remember what they're, they're, they're coming against? I mean, the, the Antichrist came to them with that political pressure, the religious pressure, the social pressure, the economic pressure. We talked about all of that last week. And here, they've stood against the Antichrist, Satan in a human body. They have stood against that. And Satan took their lives. And in a moment's time, they exchanged their lives for harps. And you know what? By the time that they get there, we'll have been there for about seven years or so, making some pretty incredible music of our own. Chapter 5 and verse 8 of Revelation, we saw that we're going to have harps as well. But man, when these tribulation saints get there, there's going to be a whole new dimension of praise in heaven as we listen to their song. And that's the next thing that John allows us to do as he unveils this great and marvelous sign in heaven. First of all, he allows us to look at the scene. We see him, the seven angels, having the seven plagues and the sevenfold description of this throng. And next, he allows us, I love it, we get to listen to the song. We get to listen to the song that this crowd is, is singing. And the first thing he gives us is the identification of the song. The identification of the song. He identifies the song for us. He tells us that it's a twofold song. He, he tells us, small letter A, that it is the song of Moses. And in small letter B, he tells us it is the song 
of the Lamb. And I'm telling you, oh, it's just incredible when you begin to see the parallel that's involved here. Get ready. The Song of Moses is found in Exodus chapter 15. The Song of the Lamb is found in Revelation 15. The Song of Moses was sung at the Red Sea. Is there something wrong with your notes? Did you get the wrong page going or what? Find your chart, y'all. The Song of Moses is found in Exodus 15. The Song of the Lamb is found in Revelation 15. The Song of Moses was sung at the Red Sea. The Song of the Lamb is sung at the Crystal Sea. The Song of Moses was a song of triumph over Egypt. The Song of the Lamb is a song of triumph over Babylon. The Song of Moses was a song of praise for God's works. The Song of the Lamb is a song of praise for God's ways. The Song of Moses told how God brought His people out. The Song of the Lamb tells how God brings His people in. The Song of Moses was the first song recorded in Scripture. The Song of the Lamb is the last song recorded in Scripture. The Song of Moses was sung by a people delivered physically from the enemy. The Song of the Lamb is sung by a people delivered spiritually from the enemy. The Song of Moses was sung by a redeemed people. The Song of the Lamb is sung by a raptured people. The Song of Moses commemorated the execution of the foe. The expectation of the saints and the exaltation of the Lord. And the Song of the Lamb commemorates those same three themes. The execution of the foe, the expectation of the saints, and the exaltation of the Lord. And check it out, the song sung by these tribulation saints. And oh, now, now get the picture in your mind now. Remember now, they stand victorious over the enemy. They stand on the sea of glass playing their harps. And the song that they sing is both the song of Moses and it's the song of the Lamb. And so John gives us the identification of the song. And then next, number two, John gives us the words of the song. And, and really, all he does is he just gives us the, the barest outline of, of the words. I mean, you, you could take each phrase here and you could expand on it through all of eternity and no doubt they will and no doubt we will. But, but first John says the words, praise God for his works. It's praise for his works. They say great and marvelous are thy works. Watch the title now. Lord God Almighty. Secondly, the words praise God for His ways. They say, just and true are thy ways. Watch the title now. Thou King of saints. And thirdly, the words praise God for His worthiness. For His works, for His ways, and for His worthiness. They sing, who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name. So check it out. First they sing how great thou art because of how God manifests himself through his works or his actions. Second they sing 
how good thou art because of how he manifests himself through his ways or his attributes. And third, they sing, how glorious thou art because of how he manifests himself through both of those things, both his works and his ways, both his actions and his attributes. And all that, now, now listen, I, I want to remind you, as you listen to the words of the song now, re- remember that most of the people who John hears singing, and he allows us to hear the words of what they're singing. Oh, now, now listen, you're turning your page and all that, just make sure you focus. You've got to remember as you're listening to these words who these people are. These are people who have just come through the most unbelievable trauma of any group of people who have ever been on this entire planet. Do you understand that? These people that are singing the words of this song are people who were hunted down like animals day and night for three and a half solid years by the Antichrist. And yet through all of that, they refused to take his mark This group of people, though they were hunted down, they were being starved out because they refused to take his number. And they couldn't buy or sell anything. They were eating whatever they could and lived their life grabbing their kids and trying to exist as the Antichrist day after day. And all of the the human governments of this world are just tracking them down, trying to, to just snuff out their life. And finally it happened. Finally, this group of people that, that's singing this song here, man, check it out, they had to stand in a line behind countless others and watch as they laid their head on the block. And you can just see the blood all over the wood as the people would have to lay their head on that thing and bam, comes down and they watched their husband's head drop to the ground or their little stinking kids. And then they had to come and lay their own head on that thing. And now listen to them sing. Great and marvelous, check this out. Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways. Thou King of Saints, who shall not fear Thee, O Lord, and glorify Thy name? This is an incredible song, y'all. And I want you to notice here, would you look at it in verse 15, that there ain't one of them that questions why, listen to the words now. There ain't one of them that questions why the all-powerful, sovereign, omnipotent Lord God, what? Almighty, the one that has the power to do anything that he jolly, well, stinking chooses to do. And they were hunted down day and night for three and a half solid years and lost their heads. But not one of them thinks 
question. The Almighty God. Not one of them questions whether or not God is good or just because He allowed them to go through everything that they had to go through. Not one of them even questions, not even for a split second, whether or not His name is worthy of being praised. And not one of them wrestles, not even for one second, with praising His name, even after three and a half years of torment and, and, and trauma. Like, nobody, 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 I don't care what your situation is, nobody in this room understands what this group of people has gone through, and yet they get there, and they are filled with nothing but worship and praise for who He is and for what He's done. And check this out, man. I love this. The only question they have is, in light of who you are, oh God, who wouldn't fear you and who wouldn't worship you? And I make that point, y'all. Because church-age saints like me and you, unbelievable. I hear it all the time. Well, you know, I'm just struggling spiritually because I'm mad at God. Uh, w w wait just a minute. Let's replay the tape. What did you say? Well, my, my father got cancer and he died. And I'm just mad at God about it. Oh, oh really? Well, how old was your dad? 75. Um, excuse me just a minute, but do you realize that in the last 6,000 years that most people who have ever been born come to the place to where they actually die? God said it would be about approximately 70 years, and to understand the wages of sin is death, and all have sinned, and that's why it's appointed unto every man once to die. And, you know, most people in the last 6,000 years who did die, most of them, it was because they got a sickness or a disease, and that's how they died, and you're mad at God? What, what did you think? He was going to just be living on the earth forever? And, and now listen, and you know what, guys? I, I, there's nothing funny about the message. Every time I see you, you laugh in this message. There ain't one thing funny about it. <clears throat> Don't just excuse all of that getting mad at God. Well, I've never been mad at God because... You know, you ever been mad at God? I'm just telling you, y'all. Where do we get off? Hello? Well, I'm just struggling. I just, I don't understand him. So? Here's, here's poor old Job. Man had been through a lot. I mean, he went through a lot of what these people are going to go through. Man, the dude had excruciating boils from the top of his head to the toe of his foot. He lost everything that he had, including every one of his kids. 
And he doesn't know why his friends come to minister to him. And by the time they're all done, he's questioning God. And so he rolls out this question. And God says, well, you know, Job, you have been through a lot, pal. And, you know, it probably is good for your uh, psychological makeup probably to get these things off your chest. And so why don't you go ahead and just tell me what you feel? Not. God says, oh, oh, wait, wait, wait. Uh, Job, if you want to start with some questions, well, I've got a few of my own. And so for two solid chapters, Job 38 and 39, you know, what I, you know what it is? It's God's response to Job's question. And you know what he does? Question after question after question after question. And finally, Job comes to the place to where he says, okay, <laughs> I, I, was, I, I did bad. Uh, from now on, I'm just going to keep my big mouth shut. God says, that ain't the answer that I was looking for. So he goes for two more solid chapters. All of chapter 40 and all of chapter 41 was out of a wrong response. And finally he gets to chapter 42. And he goes, aha. Uh -huh. I got it now. I uttered without understanding. And he says, you know what, God, I had always heard about you with the hearing of my ears, but now mine eye seeth thee, and I repent in dust and ashes. You know what he was saying? You know what, God, I thought I knew more than I did, and the reason I did is because I didn't really see you for who you are but now seeing you for who you are I see me for who I am and oh God I humble myself before you and, and I'm not trying to pour salt in anybody's wound that's struggling with difficulties of life but can I just tell you from the book of Job why it is that you're struggling it's, though you may know him, you've never really seen him for who he is. Because if you saw him for who he is, you would see yourself for who you are and wouldn't think of opening your mouth. The issue isn't God just wants us to all keep our big mouth shut about what we feel. No, he doesn't want us to feel anything. He wants something to happen in our hearts with all of this, where we so see Him for who He is. You, you hear Christians all the time, well, I'll just tell you, when I get to heaven, I'm, I'm going to ask Him why... How many of you ever heard somebody say that? I'm going to ask Him why... Can I just tell you that there's never been a time when God was ever intimidated about anybody that was ever going to come into his presence and ask any questions it's not like oh boy this is the day that they're coming what am i going to say <laughs> he's not real freaked out about it and i love it you know what jesus said in john 16 in that day you will ask me nothing Ain't 
nobody when you come into the presence of the Holy God. That's going to be going, oh yeah, and by the way, what was up with? No. It, it ain't going to happen. So, here is this, this, this group, of, group of people, man, and they, the, the question that they have is, who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? So John gives us the identification of the song. It's the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. He gives us the words of the song. And then number three, and we'll just finish with making this point this morning. Number three. The song continues as the tribulation saints give us the reason for the song. The reason for the song. You'll notice in verse 4 that each of the, the next three phrases begin with the word for. And what's happening here in, in verse 4, they're, they're telling us why it is that he is so worthy of praise. Listen to it. They sing, for thou only art holy, for all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. First of all, they sing because of the majestic virtue of God. The majestic virtue of God. They sing, for thou only art holy. And oh, buddy, again, try to remember now, these people have just been translated from standing on the earth where billions and billions of people have been worshiping the Antichrist. Revelation chapter 13 and verse 8 says, and all, listen to it, and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him. That's the Antichrist whose names are not written in the book of life. And man, listen, day after day after day, this group of people have watched the people of the earth bow down to the image of this dastardly beast, Satan, in a human body. They've watched people fall on their face and worship before him, and they know who he is. They understand it, man. They understand the diabolical character and nature of, of who he is. And now here they are, man. They're standing on the sea of glass, standing in his holiness, and with great joy they sing, Only you, only you are worthy of praise. Listen, for thou only art holy. They sing because of the majestic virtue of God. Secondly, they sing because of the magnificent victory of God. The magnificent victory of God. And again, re remember now, these, these tribulation saints have watched all the nations of the world bowing down to this false Christ. And at this point in the tribulation period, as they stand on that sea of glass, at this moment... They understand that the culmination of God's wrath being poured out on the earth is going to result in a magnificent victory. Listen to them. For all nations shall come and worship, listen to it, before thee. They understand that God's getting ready to crush the dirty, stinking head of Satan in the person of the Antichrist. And they understand that what's going to happen at that point is something that has never happened on this earth ever since there was a nation. 
all the people of the earth, from all of the nations, from all over the world, they are going to come to Jerusalem. And they are going to bow their knee to Israel's king. And they are going to open their mouth and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. It's going to happen. And these tribulation saints know that that's getting ready to happen. And so they sing, You're worthy and only you are worthy for. Uh, regardless of what was taking place on that planet, all nations shall come and worship before thee. You say, well, how do, they, how do they know that? You know how they know that? Because it just happens to be the theme of Philippians chapter 2. It happens to be the theme of Psalm 2. It happens to be the, the theme of Isaiah 2, Isaiah 56, Isaiah 66. It happens to be the theme of Zephaniah chapter 2. It happens to be the theme of Zechariah chapter 14. It's the theme of Psalm 24, Psalm 66, Psalm 72, Psalm 86, Psalm 96, 97, 100, 110, 148. It's the theme of Daniel chapter 7. It's the theme of Malachi chapter 4. It's the theme of ha over half of the Old Testament, y'all. It's all about this time when he finally gets the glory that he deserves. And what Acts chapter 3 and verse 21 says, that any preacher that has ever been in the existence of time, that's ever been worth his salt, has used that as the theme of his message. That he's one of these days, he's coming to this planet. And every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess. And he'll finally get the glory that he deserves. So, these tribulation saints sing because of the majestic virtue of God because of the magnificent victory of God. And then thirdly, let us see the manifest vengeance of God. They sing, For thy judgments are made manifest. Now, we've been talking about the fact that his wrath has been filling up. It's been filling up ever since Lucifer raised his ugly head there in eternity past. It's certainly been filling up for the last 6,000 years of human history as man has just continued in defiance against God. And you know what? I don't know what it does to you when you understand that this morning all over this planet, even though we're, we're, most of the world has already put in their, their day, and do you realize that what has happened even on the Lord's day, that most people on this planet, 99.9999999% of them have lived their life defying God, defaming God, blaspheming God. And you know what? If you're a child of God and you really understand the glory He ain't getting right now, and you understand the glory that He deserves, and you understand when He's going to get it. You're longing for that judgment to be made manifest. David said in Psalm 69, Oh God, when I see how you're reproached, those reproaches fall upon me and I feel what you feel, God. In Psalm 119, in verse 53, he says, I look at it, oh God, it horrifies me. Psalm 119, verse 139, he says, oh God, it consumes me. Psalm 119, verse 158, he says, oh God, it grieves me. Psalm 119, verse 136, he says, oh God, rivers of waters run down my eyes. It makes me cry 
my eyes out. And listen, folks, if you know God, if you really want and long for him to get the glory that he deserves, you join in with all of the rest of the saints of God through every single age as they see that. And there is something inside of the heart of God's people that longs for him to get the glory that he deserves and realizing that it is not going to happen until he finally manifests his judgment against the wicked and the wickedness of this planet. And oh, buddy, it's been that way in everybody that knows God. But man, with these tribulation saints, oh, son, we could learn the lesson from this group of people. Do you remember? We don't have time to turn there, but do you remember back in chapter 6 of, of Revelation before all of the saints of the tribulation had been martyred? Do you remember what these tribulation saints were saying when John heard them back in chapter 6? It, what it says in chapter 6 and verse 10, y'all listen to it. It says that they cried out with a loud voice. This is not just, you know, yeah, these words are cool. With intensity, with passion. They're crying out. And you know what they're saying? How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And it's talking about that during the tribulation period. They've been crying out day after day. They've had their stinking heads lopped off. And now, Lord, how long can you wait before you judge that and meet that out on, on those on the earth? And when we see him here in, in Revelation 15, God is manifesting his judgment. He is avenging their blood, and it becomes cause for praise from this group of people. They sing, For thy judgments are manifest. We're finally going to see the Antichrist get what he deserves along with every single one of his followers. Oh, God, manifest though your judgments. So they, they praise him for his majestic virtue, his magnificent victory. And then, because of that manifest vengeance that says he's going to get what he deserves. Now, without packing up on me, just keep focus going here. If you're here today, you don't know Christ. Listen, the reason he brought you here was because he loves you. Oh, he is a God of wrath because he hates sin. But he loves you. We, we talked about that day of vengeance from the Almighty, and there is that day coming. But you know what today is? According to the book of Hebrews, today is the day of salvation, of deliverance. You can be delivered from the bondage of your sin today because today is a day of salvation, but you do need to understand there's coming a day in the not-too-distant future when it will not be a day of salvation like today. It will be a day when His judgment is manifest. I'm not trying to freak you out. You just need to understand that's the score. And it doesn't matter whether we 
like it. Well, I read something and, well, I was taught, well, seminaries think it doesn't matter. doesn't change anything. It's going to happen the way that God said that it's going to happen. And today is a day of salvation where His love is extended to you against the backdrop of His holiness. He hated sin so much, He let His Son die so that we didn't have to because He's a God of love. You know, I, you know we've covered a lot of territory today. But if you're here and you don't know Christ, I, I don't even know how to, humanly to urge you to respond if God is speaking to you. Again, he says, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart. You know what? You turn that voice off today, and what God is saying is your heart became just a little bit harder. And it'll be a little easier to do that next time. And so he says... Today, if you'll hear his voice, don't harden your heart. And I'm asking you, do you hear the voice of God over everything that my loud mouth has said today? Has God been taking the, his word and working in your heart? If so, respond to that. Our pastors are going to be right up at the front of either side of this room in just a minute as we're dismissed. We invite you to respond to God's command to repent. You're packing up. Be cool. Hold up. And oh Christian, can I just ask you about this song that he's left us here to sing and the music that's being played by the instrument of your life? Is there something God's needing to do? Are you mad at God? Is your view of God so low that you thought you had the ability to question him. And you know what? What I hope and pray has happened in the midst of this service today as we've lifted up the name of the Lord through this, I hope what he's done is he has so shown you who he is that today you had a victory in your life. You've seen yourself for who you are and saying, Whew. the very audacity that I would question the Lord God Almighty, the King of Saints, the only one who is worthy of glory. And some of us probably need to get a victory. Some of us that name the name of the Lord. And if we haven't gotten the victory in this service, at least you know the direction you need to go. You need to see God for who He is, and that's how you need to begin to pray. Don't, don't, don't pray. Lord, help me not to question you anymore. Save it. Pray, oh God, help me to see you for who you really are. And he'll take care of any question you've got. Now, Lord, would you please work in the lives of, of people? Would you, would you work in people here today that don't know you? And I pray that today they've seen you for who you are, and I pray you, in light of that, would show them who they are. And I pray that this would be a day of, of them humbling themselves so that you can do the miracle of salvation in them. And oh, God, again, we, we have 
simply tried to do what what you told us to do when we gather to preach to rebuke to reprove to exhort with all long suffering and doctrine and we tried to do that today and you said if you would be high and lifted up you would draw people to yourself and so Lord we're asking you to do that today draw people to yourself may this be the day of salvation for people in this room this morning and oh God may it be a a different kind of day of salvation for your people a day of decision a day of deliverance from selfishness and self-seeking and self-preeminence and self-promotion help us to begin to see you in the fullness of who you are and oh Lord God Would you please help us with these lives to play the music to the song that would please you and would praise you. A song that could be used as we open our mouth boldly to make known the mysteries of Christ to those that don't know you. So help us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.